This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Lowe's knows you'll do it right. And do it yourself to stay within budget when making updates to your bathroom. We do it right, too, by offering up to 20% off select toilets during the final days of our Refresh for Less kitchen and bath event. Step up your style even more with floor tile starting at just 49 cents a square foot. For your next bath project, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 3-6. See store for details, U.S. only. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. My name is Dan Favalli, coming at you, as always, with my super-duper, incredibly awesome, times awesome, spectaculario, fantabulous. I totally forgot this intro because I'm thinking about something else in my mind right now that has nothing to do with the podcast co-host, Andrew D. Bailey. Uh, before we get started, I want to apologize, one, for butchering Andy's uh, intro. I'm just all, all over the place this morning and have no desire to start over. And two, just want to continue reminding everyone to please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. It seems like those uh, ratings and reviews are in a stalemate, even though it seems that we are getting a, a more downloads per episode. So I know you guys are out there subscribing, listening. Head over to iTunes. If you're just salty that we got rid of the intro music, I promise you something uh, will be in the works very shortly. Lowe's knows you'll do it right. And do it yourself to stay within budget when making updates to your bathroom. We do it right, too, by offering up to 20% off select toilets during the final days of our Refresh for Less kitchen and bath event. Step up your style even more with floor tile starting at just 49 cents a square foot. For your next bath project, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 3-6. See store for details, U.S. only. But that's the best way to help out the pod. Take the 10 to 15 seconds out of your day. Search Hardwood Knox on iTunes. Throw us that five-star review. Uh, leave us a, an actual written review, too, so we can hear your feedback. And if you haven't subscribed, please do that already. Recommend us to your friends, family, enemies, frenemies, anyone who likes hoops. And, of course, you can consume us wherever podcasts are found. Before we get into part one of the Eastern Conference uh, re- quarter poll report card grades, excuse me, we, we do have to ask, Andy, how are you doing today? Particularly after I just screwed up your intro. Are, are you okay? I think I'll recover. Um, You're a ripper good bloke for doing that. There you go. <laughs> there we go. Um, speaking of that, I uh, that Nathan Hand actually sent me some uh, Australia Boomers shorts uh, this week, which are pretty sweet. They're national team. Um, that is quite the hookup. Yeah. So I went to play some ball on them last night, and nobody showed up. I couldn't show them off, unfortunately. But You don't um, sync up it, before you go play basketball? You just show up on a random Thursday night and hope that people are there? Generally, yeah, there's a spot that I play, <laughs> and uh, it was quite cold last night. I don't know if they understood that basketball is played indoors. Um, 
it must have been the snowstorm that kept him away. In answer to your question, I'm doing good. I'm ready to talk about uh, the Eastern Conference. Uh, the one thing I wanted to ask you, though, before we get started, and that might be the fifth time I said before we get started, Joe Varden of The Athletic reports that LeBron oh wants Melo on the Lakers and thinks he can help them. What oh. say you? Um, uh, geez, what say I? <laughs> Haven't we our, have we not learned our lesson about LeBron James and uh, roster construction and talent evaluation? Um, right, unless he thinks that Brandon Ingram is just done for the season secretly. <laughs> Let's please, please, please leave Carmelo uh, Anthony away from there. If if you know you're a fan of the Lakers and you want them to continue to play well and and um, possibly make a little bit of a run in the playoffs and then get buzzsawed by the Warriors. Um, if you're a fan of, I don't know, the Jazz or something like that, maybe you want Carmelo Anthony on the Lakers. <laughs> I guess it depends on where you lie. Um, the the answer to the question is no, I do not think he will help them. I, and yeah. I want to throw this in too. On that broadcast last night, over and over and over, they kept saying, "Oh yeah, well, the the Rockets say they're in the market for a three four type. Uh, that's that's weird. Don't didn't they have Carmelo Anthony like making it sound like?" <laughs> Just bring him back or never send him away and everything would be fine. No, that's that's definitely not the answer either. It's not, but I think it this absolves Melo of being part of any problem. I them. don't know if it completely absolves him. Um, How is he they, part of their problem? They suck. Well, they're bad still, but they were terrible when he was on the floor. Um, yes, so because he, getting roundhoused by the Utah Jazz without Melo when Utah lost Rudy Gobertless in three minutes into the game... By the way, Rudy Gobert slapping that thing off the scorer's table might be my favorite moment of his career. Did he not want to? Did he not want to play last night? Like that seemed just so early to get so mad. I mean, James Harden looked like he flopped on that foul. Yeah, and I think he's just been like fed up with refs for a couple weeks now. But he had like the biggest power stance going into that, uh, whatever it was, water slap, powder slap, whatever it was. Um, <laughs> And oh my goodness, that that I hope that gift lives on forever. The the mellow stuff, the I, you I tried to talk you into him being a good fit for the Rockets, and and you almost did. I I think you made about as compelling a case as anyone this right. offseason. And I don't know, I don't think it would be much differently for for LeBron with LeBron. I will say though that if he does go to LA, maybe the benefit is that we get more Brandon Ingram me time minutes, independent. Of LeBron because I don't you can't play mellow without LeBron if he's on the Lakers like it just he can't be the guy who's you don't want him doing the jab step and trying to leave these bench heavy units you would rather see Brandon Ingram do that and there's been call for him to get more minutes as that type of player and so maybe that's kind of the offshoot of that at the same time the Lakers can carve out that time for Brandon Ingram without signing mellow I'm just saying maybe that would compel them to do it by the way uh on the season when Melo was on the floor for Houston, they're minus 11.4 points per hundred possessions, ninth percentile. When he's off, they're plus 1.7, 56th percentile. He he was terrible. He was bad, but I'm just saying it's not like he wasn't he wasn't the problem for them. Yeah, but I also don't think he'll help him. He he's not the solution either. No, that, I mean that, that's totally fair. Uh, but I mean he I mean he played. He played 10 games for them. So it's just, I don't know. They're, the Rockets are all over the place right now. And I'm not trying to 
I don't think I don't know where Melo could help a team. I, being on the Lakers for an entertainment perspective would just be funny seeing him play with LeBron. We I root for chaos. You root for chaos. Maybe he could like kind of sort of help the Pelicans or the Blazers if they need. But it's it's really tough to find a, a good fit for him. I just don't. I'm not into. I've always thought he's been overrated, but now we're just getting to a point where we're blaming Melo for other teams' problems. And we, he was on the Rockets for ten games. Yes, they were bad with him on the floor. They still kind of suck overall. And I would say. Uh, the regression of Chris Paul, just their wing rotation in general, those are issues uh, that Melo can't solve but also isn't culpable in. I think I might have mentioned that in the last podcast too. I mean, their their whole structure essentially last season was two top five players and a bunch of shooters, and now they have one top five player and uh, half as many shooters. So <laughs> it was kind of a recipe for disaster this summer. But that will, you know, we'll, we'll leave that there. Maybe there'll be more to talk about if he actually signs with the Lakers. We, we shall see. Or he can't even sign with them. He hasn't been released yet. I don't even know. People were talking about them flipping Michael Beasley for Carmelo Anthony, but it doesn't seem like Houston wants to pay, like, the luxury tax, and Beasley's actually making more than Melo right now. So, um, but... That would that would be a, just a hilarious trade. Yeah, it's, it's something to monitor. Um, let's get into those report card grades, though. We are going reverse alphabetical order again. We're going to see how many we're aiming for half the teams, but uh, both of us are pressed for time, so we'll see how many we can get through before part two. So that brings us to the Washington Wizards, who at this recording are a pleasant 11-14. and 14. <laughs> They are, this is all per cleaning the glass again, 18th in offensive efficiency, 24th in defensive efficiency, and 24th in net rating. Uh, you were in charge of the key stat for this team, so uh, let's let it roll. Okay, here's my key stat for the Washington Wizards. Um, right now, they are minus three points per 100 possessions when John Wall, Bradley Beal, and Otto Porter are all on the floor. That's the first time that Washington's had this trio that it's got a negative net rating. Um, in 2014-15, it was plus 12.3. In 2015-16, it was plus 4.1. In 2016-17, plus 7.1. 2017-18, plus 9. And then again, this season, minus 3. Um, sometimes things just sort of run their course. And I, I, I don't think it's I'm saying anything that's all that revelatory <laughs> right now uh, to suggest that the Wall-Beal-Porter trio has kind of run its course. Um, although I'm, I was kind of teetering between D plus and C minus for them because I feel like they deserve maybe a little bit of credit for their recovery since, I don't know, two or three weeks ago when it looked like the sky was falling for that team. They've, they've won three straight. They're a half game out of the playoffs. Um, maybe they deserve some credit. I still went with a D plus just because you would think with that, talent that they have the top tier talent that they would be a little bit better than this um but yeah it just I, I think all the trade rumors over the last few weeks uh probably need to come to fruition still i even if you do write the ship and this trio ends up back in the black by the end of the season i don't you know to what end i don't think they're a title contender that's for sure um it's time to to do what you can to blow it up because in addition to not being a title contender this is one of the most cap strapped teams in the league i mean their their salary situation is terrible so if they can get out from under one two or maybe even all three of these deals i think they should do it they you talked me into giving them a d plus as well because they've been starting thomas bryant at center uh they're banged up with dwight howard uh jan mahimi is 
basically not playing or like kind of getting inconsistent minutes. I think in their last game he got a, a DMP. So you're starting Thomas Bryant and giving uh, Jan Rahimi DNPs. I'm actually uh, in their win over the Hawks uh, where they just destroyed them for most of the game. John Wall didn't play. I'm almost yeah. proud of NBA Twitter for not going too deep on the uh, like Wizards don't need uh, John Wall roller coaster or ride or, or whatever you kind of want to call it. I'm pretty much with everything you've said. Um, I do have my own stat for them. Bradley Beal and Otto Porter have played 126 possessions without John Wall this season. They are a plus 18.9 points per 100 possessions in that time. Did you see my tweet um, yesterday, too? Over the last two seasons, Sadoransky's net rating is quite a bit better than... Him not playing towards the beginning of the season was just absolutely absurd yeah it's ridiculous um so you you might be glad that people weren't uh jumping on the wizards don't need john wall train but i i was like one foot on it yes or after that game that you just mentioned and they really do kind of need to do something they're dead last in defensive rebounding rate they're not a good offensive rebounding team either and i, I mean i guess you could like say that that's not a big deal but when you're not a good defensive team um, and you're punting on offensive rebounds, it's kind of just like, eh. So they're, they could, Zach Lowe has said this a bunch of times, they could talent their way into the playoffs, and the way the, the Eastern Conference is is kind of set up, like maybe they're able to, to win a round or something, but I don't see them matching up with like um, some of the, just some of these uh, other teams, and I, I don't know. I don't know. I think they'd have to climb to like fifth. Um, to to have a shot in the first round, maybe even higher. I, I I don't know if they can compete with any of the the three or four best teams in the East. I don't think they can. Uh, but I, again, they're so the playoff race is so close. You just said it. They're a half came out as we're recording this. Um, they're only three point five games back of the fourth place Detroit Pistons, who we are not talking about in this podcast. <laughs> so I, some weird stuff could happen. What's really bad for this team is that their only option seems to be to blow it up because they don't have the assets to actually bring in, like, take on good players. Because if you, you're not going to get better by trading Bradley Beal, you're probably mm-hmm. not going to get real value for moving John Wall. Uh, and Otto Porter, I would guess at this point, would be close to a salary dump with maybe you get a low-end picker prospect as part of it as well. Yeah, and I, I honestly think they should be exploring all three of those. Um, and if you're going to keep one, I think the one you'd probably prioritize is Beal. I'm guessing you probably agree with me there. Um, but if you can find a way to sort of <laughs> get a fresh slate, I think you got to do it. Um, and there may be a team, a certain team in Phoenix. I know that, you know, a lot of writers and bloggers have been talking about this, but um, the thing, I mean, <laughs> they look like a complete and utter mess and they have an owner who might get kind of trigger happy and and go for something like John Wall's contract. So it'll be interesting to monitor. Yeah, for sure. Uh, We will be moving on to the Toronto Raptors. They are 21 and five. They rank fourth in offensive efficiency, seventh in defensive efficiency and second in net rating. I gave them an A plus just uh, not just because, but there are some concerns about them, uh, people have talked about their defensive rebounding issues. They, they're they're not a good defensive rebounding team. They're in the 19th percentile of defensive rebounding uh, when 
Pascal Siakam and Serge Ibaka are on the floor together. But that's kind of just a concession that you have to make if you want to play that type of front court. And I don't, they're still in first place in the Eastern Conference. Their defense overall is still good. They're probably better than anyone in the, in the league right now, aside from perhaps the full strength Warriors team. They can just tailor their defense to meet their opponent. You've seen it with how they give spot starts to um, Jonas Valanciunas. Uh, things like that are, are valuable, and a defensive rebounding is an issue. Maybe they can add someone on the buyout market this year. Uh, maybe they can make a trade. Someone like Dwayne Dedman might be a nice sort of bench option uh, for them. Uh, the the other stat I have on them, and this is part of the reason why I have to give them an A+, their bench is a minus 27 on yeah. the season, which ranks 21st in the league, and that was a big part of their identity last year. I think a big reason why they're in the net negatives is they've dealt with just a ton of injuries. Uh, Van Fleet, DeLon Wright, uh, OG Ananobi hasn't been healthy this year, and he wasn't even part of the bench mob last year for, for a good chunk of that season. But the fact that the Raptors are still this good, um, despite where they've had minutes uh, where you don't have, you need almost Dylan Wright and Fred Van Fleet on the floor at the same time if you're not going to have Leonard or Lowry on the court. It doesn't happen much when those two are sitting down, but it does happen and the, again, the fact that they're still here, they're winning these games, they've made statement victories against some of the Eastern Conference's better teams. I think that game against Philly the other night, while it was close, it just never really felt like the Sixers were going to win. And you just look at how Kawhi Leonard is playing. You look at what Kyle Lowry is doing, leading the league in assists while throwing some shade at Masai Ujiri. Uh, he, he, still, he still seems underrated on defense to me. He's just a bulldog. People have talked about his regression, but just him willing to get in there and take charges. Serge Ibaka is shooting a zillion percent on long twos. Uh, this team is just deep and scary. The Danny Green stuff, and this will be my final note on the Raptors, I got into it with some Spurs fans on Twitter who said the Spurs had no other options than to trade Danny Green in that Raptors deal. Yeah. And no, it's just, here's the thing. if They've never valued Danny Green's, it seems like, over the last couple of years. There were rumors that they were actively trying to move him. So they treated him as bad salary, which is objectively dumb especially this past offseason, because you let Kyle Anderson walk. Um, and Danny Green, even while he was injured or misdiagnosed and you didn't think he was injured last year, he was still your third most impactful defender behind Anderson and DeJounte Murray. You were trading Leonard. So I, I just don't understand the lack of foresight there by San Antonio. And there were other permutations of the deal that could have worked. They could have, instead of targeting Pirtle, they could have targeted a cheaper prospect. Um, Siakam wasn't on the table per rumors. Adenobi probably wasn't either, but there was Dylan Wright there. Um, so you could have, there were, there were other moves that they could have made. And you know what? If it comes to a point where you have to treat Danny Green, one of your most important defenders and three-point shooters, as bad salary, then you regroup and look for other offers. This seems like just a, an instance where they prioritize getting DeMar DeRozan or getting someone who could really maybe take them to the playoffs this year. And, and it was just a mistake. So that kind of ties in the Raptors, but he's been super good for Toronto, and I think it makes San Antonio look that much worse. I agree with all that. Um, I also gave the Raptors an A+. And to just sort of put an exclamation point on your uh, Danny Green comments, when he and Kawhi Leonard are on the floor for the Raptors this season, Toronto is plus 17.4 points per 100 possessions which ranks in the 99th percentile. Um, those two guys worked great together as recently as 2016-17. Um, neither one of them. I mean, how old is Danny Green? Like 32 maybe? Uh, let me check this. 
He is 31. Um, so that's a pairing that I think could be really, really good for a couple more years, assuming uh, Kawhi Leonard stays in Toronto, which I really, really hope he does. Um, to me, they're an obvious A+. Plus. I, I came into the season thinking they were the best team in the Eastern Conference. Um, I think they've pretty much backed that up, although Milwaukee has an argument as well. Um, Pascal Siakam, of all people, is leading them in box plus minus. I think there's still room for Kawhi Leonard to get a little bit better. Um, Kyle Lowry's been in a little bit of a shooting slump, um, so there's room for his numbers to rebound a little bit. Like you said, the bench hasn't been good, and I don't expect that to hold all season, so the bench could get better. Um, the fact that they have the record that they have, 21-5, and five, and their second net rating, and they still have all this room for improvement, uh, I, I think the Raptors are looking more and more and more like a legitimate title contender uh every day they're they're an easy a plus for me yeah i don't i mean it's just they're really good and i hope quiet Leonard stays there too i think you would have to say they're not just favorites to keep them but they're heavy favorites just because they've it's a, he can't leave it's not going to be a financial decision they can give him five years and now they've made it so it's not even a good basketball decision unless something happens um that we can't foresee and there seems to be something at least in the last like 10 or 15 years where a lot of guys will go to Toronto and just kind of fall in love with it. Um, in the Vince Carter era, it seemed like a lot of guys were trying to get out of Toronto. But I, I feel like there's been some kind of a shift over the last couple of years. And maybe that city will work its magic on Kawhi, too. I just, I, At least I hope so, because I love the way he fits on that team. Uh, this brings us to the Philadelphia 76ers. They are... Uh, 11th in offensive efficiency, 11th in defensive efficiency, and 13th in net rating, 17 and 9 overall, excuse me, sorry for doing that, as of this recording. My grade for them, since I was in charge of the uh, key stat, is a B. Uh, I have I have two key stats for them. One, it's just since the, the Jimmy Butler trade, they rank 13th in defensive efficiency before the Jimmy Butler trade. Um, they ranked, what were they ranked in defense efficiency before the Jimmy Butler trade? I have it right here. They were, they were 10th. And it's just funny to me that they kind of dropped down from there. He's helped their offense a ton. Uh, they were 20th in offensive efficiency before the Jimmy Butler trade. Since acquiring him, they're now 8th. Uh, it's just funny. You would have thought maybe it would have went the opposite direction, but that probably speaks to how good of a team defender Robert Covington is. He defends, I don't think you look at, Jimmy Butler is someone who should defend a bunch of point guards, and Robert Covington just def- guarded a bunch of point guards. Uh, that My actual stat for them, which is just sort of, I guess it's not nuts, but they haven't had him that long. We're talking about less than a month. They've already played uh, nine games uh, that have entered crunch time, the final five minutes uh, in which neither team is ahead or behind by more than five points. They're 7-2, and two, which is just, you, you would think that maybe because there should be some sort of a transition with integrating Jimmy Butler, that they they could struggle in those situations. Uh, They're really not. Their offensive rating isn't terribly high. It's 13th there. That's fine. Um, Their defensive rating is, again, nothing too special, 16th in those situations. But just to be uh, 7-2 in clutch situations since having Butler, that, that actual, where he differs from Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, it's the shot creator who could probably count on to hit 
those tough outside shots. Ben Simmons isn't going to take them. Uh, he needs to get to the rim. And Joel Embiid, he'll take them, but he's not this super high percentage three-point shooter or this super high percentage uh, shooter off the dribble unless he's getting to the basket or working in the post himself. So really to have uh, Jimmy Butler there in, in those moments has been just incredibly huge for them. So th- that's like, that probably served. They still seem like they need another piece. Um, I, I don't like maybe another, I don't want to say another playmaker, but just maybe more shooting like another wing there that should really help. But the Jimmy Butler trade really changes the calculus for them in, in the playoffs. I, I know that during the regular season, there might be some sort of a, a defensive drop-off, but I, I think that this is a deal that's going to end up benefiting them a ton once they get to the postseason. And, and just to put a bow on sort of that, since Jimmy Butler has arrived um, to the Sixers in this in these clutch situations, he has a true shooting percentage of 672 and his net rating is 12.4, which is demonstrably higher than uh, Philadelphia's net rating overall in clutch situations. That seems like one of those uh, actual win-win trades, at least so far. Um, both teams have just looked you know, objectively better since that deal was made. And I've looked up the their new starting lineup a few times, and it's it's killing it's kind of like the lineup that they had last year um in terms of just overall plus minus uh they've they've been very very good i gave them a b plus and i almost i mean it was teetering between that and an a minus um i ultimately docked them a little bit because of the i don't even know if this is their fault but the markel fultz fiasco wasn't a great thing for the team to go through um so, yeah, I just I, I docked them a little bit for that. But overall, I think they've been pretty good. Um, there's a lot of talk about a Ben Simmons regression. His numbers are very, very close to what they were last year. I think people maybe just expected him to take a step forward as a shooter or at least try to be a shooter, and maybe they're interpreting that as a step back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ultimately, I, I still think he's been really, really good. This season, Joel Embiid, a lot of people are talking about him as an MVP candidate. I'm not there yet, um, but he's obviously been excellent. Um, if he can improve his two-point efficiency a little bit and, and three-point efficiency for sure, um, still needs to cut back on the turnovers a little bit. But overall, I think this is a really, really strong team. Now they have a very legitimate big three. Um, I, I, I think adding Jimmy Butler, a motivated Jimmy Butler really raises their ceiling quite a bit. And I think those defensive numbers that you cited earlier are probably going to get better over the course of the season. Oh, and to justify mine, you kind of did. Why I only gave them a B had something to do with the Markel fault stuff that the handling of it is weird, but I also feel like they kind of haven't set. They didn't, they settled on a vision too late for this team. I don't know if they were just counting on Markel faults being so good. They didn't need to make an all in play, but uh, it, it was almost weird to see them go all in on Jimmy Butler, but not go all in on a Kawhi Leonard trade. And he's a, he's a lot better than Jimmy Butler. I know there's the injury to factor in. I, I don't know what it would have cost to have gotten Kawhi Leonard because there were reports that the Spurs didn't like Markel Fultz. But there just seemed to be like I, – I, I give them kudos for recognizing that they needed a, a talent infusion this year. But at the same time, just when you look at what they did on, on draft night – 
um, giving up Mikael Bridges, who would have been a fantastic fit for this team, so that they could get Zaire Smith and that 2021 pick for, uh, from Miami that came via Phoenix. It's Again, it was a trade that I even liked, and I thought it just showed that Brett Brown, who was the acting GM at that time, wasn't necessarily thinking completely like a coach who might have been more win now and kept Bridges. But then you go and you make a move like this in you know before the quarter mark of the season. It was just it, it seemed like they were just a little bit in, inconsistent on that front. And that's why I ultimately gave them gave them a B. Yeah, I think that's all fair. Um, in terms of Kawhi, I, I think we could probably put that on the Spurs, who wanted a more of a win now type of a package, and maybe maybe they that's offered true. a package to what they ended up giving Minnesota for Jimmy Butler. I don't know, but. Um, I, I think they wound up in a pretty good spot. There's a good chance that if they would have gotten a package built around, say, Sarich, Covington, and TJ McConnell, that the Spurs would be better than they are right now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I, uh, I think I would probably... I'm not taking a shot at DeMar DeRozan, either. I'm just saying there's a good... Just looking at the roster balance, they have no wings on that team. And to have Covington um, and, and Sarich, who's... Yeah, not a combo wing, really. He's more of a power forward, but still closer to he'd be he'd be a wing on the San Antonio Spurs. Yeah. Um, the Orlando Magic, the the surprising Orlando Magic. They are twelve and thirteen at this recording. Nineteenth in offensive efficiency, eighteenth in defensive efficiency, nineteenth in net rating. And if the playoffs started today in the Eastern Conference as a throw-in, they would be the seven seed. I gave them a B plus. Um... I I don't really know what I expected of the Orlando Magic coming into this season. Um, I think maybe my mind, at least when thinking about them, was most consumed with like Nikola Vucevic trade possibilities. Um, because I was all, I mean, I was pretty gung-ho about, let's get all those young, athletic uh, wingspan guys out there. I wanted to see Isaac and Bamba together and Gordon and Bamba. And... Um, <laughs> Nikola Vucevic has made it a very serious question about whether they would even want to trade him. He has been absolutely ridiculous this season. And so for my key stat for them, uh, I'm actually going to pose a question to you. How many Eastern Conference players do you think have more wins over replacement player than Nikola Vucevic? Oh, geez. Um, I'm going to say one. You are correct. And I'm sure you can guess who that one is. Giannis Atentacumpo. Yeah, exactly. Nice. Um, I love when I get it right. You always ruin my guessing games by just knowing the answer. You were two for two. Well done. Um, Giannis is first in the in the Eastern Conference and wins over replacement player Nikola Vucevic is second. Um, I've run a lot of player uh, season searches on him this season. And what he's doing is it's pretty close to unprecedented. Um in just 31 minutes a game, he's averaging 21 points, 11 rebounds, almost four assists, a steal, and a block. Uh, so per 36 minutes, that's 24, 13, 4.5, 1.2, and 1.2. Um, shooting 55% from the field, 41% from three on about three attempts a game. Um, exactly three attempts a game. It's <laughs> He's putting up just absurd raw numbers and uh at this point he almost feels like a lock for an eastern conference all-star spot i don't i don't i don't know how you give it to someone other than him he's just been 
absurd this year. I think some other guys probably deserve credit. Terrence Ross has been pretty good this year. Aaron Gordon has been good. His three-point percentage, uh, as opposed to last season, has actually stayed in the high 30s. For a, in, we're now you know closing in on a third of the way into the season. Um, this is another. I mean, I mentioned earlier with the Raptors, they still have some room to improve. I think that's true of the Magic too. Evan Fournier is only shooting 32% from three right now, so that could get better. Um, I think Mo Bamba will probably get better over the course of the season. I think John Isaac is is sort of rounding into form. Um, I think the the main attraction with this team is Nikola Vucevic, but they have, you know, they're quietly kind of interesting. And like you said, right now they're in seventh place. It would be pretty wild to see them back in the playoffs. Yeah, they've been... Uh, kudos to Steve Clifford for the head coaching job he's done. Uh, his identity is just all over this team. They're not turning the ball over a ton. Um, so and and they've played like defense for good defense for stretches, even though their their defensive rank really isn't that high. They they just sort of have that grit. I gave them a B plus as well. It's sort of a shame they, they have to trade uh, Nicole in my mind just because you can't play him and Bamba together long term. They tried a little bit this year. They've gotten destroyed. It's a shame that you can't play them together, but it probably just really it can't work. Um, and the same kind of goes for Terrence Ross. He's like at that if he's playing well enough, he's on an expiring deal. Do you want to repay him this summer? Uh, repay him, resign him this summer. He's just it, it's like it's borderline because I don't know. I do think GMs this isn't going to be the summer of 2016 where they have cap space, so they're going to throw it at anyone. At the same time, uh, shooting comes at a premium. And he shot the ball well after kind of a slow start. He's even done some stuff off the dribble this year. He turns 28 in February. He's kind of on that line. So those are two names to just really watch um, on the trade market. And I do still think ultimately when you're planning for the future that those are guys you move. And unless you're going for – if you're going for a playoff burst, berth this year and you'd rather just take the cap space and let them come off, I, I guess that's fine. I don't know what the market for uh, Vucevic would be anyway just because of how – he's playing well, but just the value of bigs – um, just mercurial. You and I don't even know. There are teams that you could put him on that have been interesting. Even the Lakers now with Chandler and McGee, but having him there would be. I just don't know the packages to get him to teams that uh, would actually need him, unless Orlando is willing to take back bad salary. And the only thing I will kind of say about them, um, the thing that I've liked that Clifford has done, they are ninth in three point attempt rate, and th- the goal there is to just clearly offset the talent deficit that they have because they don't get to the foul line. They're 30th in, in free throw attempt rate. Um, and you know that they're not stocked with the best shooters. And that might be one of my red flags is that they're also ninth in three-point percentage right now. I don't know if that's going to hold. And so I'd like to see them attack the basket more. And you have guys like Evan Fournier, DJ Augustine, who's been good this year. Um, even Jonathan Simmons, they do it. But you need to get other guys to do it more. And I'm thinking more so along the lines of, don't like get Terrence Ross to kind of stop dribbling into these pull-ups as often. Try and get him to go attack the basket. Um, Jonathan Isaac as well. Uh, just something for them to maybe get some more opportunities to the free throw line because I don't know. Um, they're I think they're 28th or 29th in um, f- shot frequency at the rim uh, in addition to being 30th in free throw attempt rate. You just need to kind of drum that number up a little bit because I, again, for me, I just, I doubt whether their three point standing is going to hold at the moment. Yeah. There's, um, there's certainly reason to expect a regression, especially with what happened with Aaron Gordon last season. So that's, I think that's fair. Um, we are now moving on to the New York Knicks who are eight and 18 at this recording. Uh, 23rd in offensive efficiency, 28th in defensive efficiency, and 26th 
in net rating. I gave them, and I'm kind of waffling, and I feel like I'm just going to adjust my grade uh, right now. I'm going to give them a C. I originally had them at a C plus, and maybe you swayed me because I just saw that you have a C for them in the dock. They are a fun kind of bad. I again, I will. They are a. They're a fun kind of bad. There's just no no other way to put it. My whole thing is. This should, this is going to be my key stat, basically. Frank Nielakina has played, over the last three games, zero minutes. Zero minutes. That's not great. No, that's that's no. actually awful. And David Fisdale keeps talking about how he's, he's not completely out of the mix. All these guys are going to get their chance. He is the eighth overall pick from the 2017 NBA draft. You suck on the defensive end. You're awful. You're, you're terrible. You're 28th. You're crap. Um, you... You really just don't know what to do trying to defend off turnovers. Um, they've been like kind of okay when they're able to set their defense after made shots, but they're they're still not great there. Frank Nielakin is an actual stopper, and to not have him on the floor probably because he's so bad offensively, I, I just don't get. And you have to give them uh, props for finding Alonzo Trier, for really seeing what Damian Dotson can do. Their shot profile, though, is terrible. They're sixth in the league in long two frequency, and while they are tenth in th- in field goal percentage, I they're they're almost like catering to their personnel too much. Like this is a development year. Like let's have Dotson and Trier stop dribbling into these pull up twos. I don't care like if they're hitting them um, during. And again, they're impressive, but just I, I'm not trying to. Here's what I'm trying to. I'm not trying to oversimplify it by saying just shoot more threes for all these teams. But when you're bad on defense. You can't afford to have a bad shot profile. Does that make sense? Like the Spurs are a perfect example. It's fine that they're catering to their personnel on the offensive end, but they're also 30th on defense. And so you need that extra three-point volume to offset the talent variance you're going to have on any given night. And I mean, the Nets have done it as well as well as anyone um, over the past couple of years. The Magic are kind of a good example this year with Steve Clifford. They're not getting to the rim, but their three-point volume is okay. The, the Neil Aquinas stuff, though, just just bugs me. And you're investing minutes in, yeah, you know what? Maybe Trier and Dotson are these long-term pieces, but now we're talking about rumors of the Knicks giving up on Neil Aquina and could trade him. And at that point, they're probably going to use him as a Courtney Lee salary dump, which is close to objectively awful value because you get off Lee's money, but you shouldn't be using the eighth overall pick from a year ago to get off that type of a contract. So yeah. they're just whiffing there. And you know what? Noah Vonley's playing well um i don't understand I, again it just makes it it's weird and it, neil keen isn't going to come in and take vonley's minutes this just more my, my overarching point is david fisdale's coaching has been inconsistent he's giving guys opportunities but sometimes it seems sort of like the wrong guys because noah vonley unless he's going to come super cheap this year you shouldn't be resigning him you you don't have his his bird rights why are you starting Hazonia, what? Just why? Just honestly, why? He has not been good this year. Uh, Moutier's been fine at points, but again, he's entering restricted free agency. You have his bird rights, but you shouldn't be doubling down on a guy who's having a, a career year who's never really played well in the past. And I'd rather see Neil Aquinas starting at point guard, even though they've tried to develop him as an off guard. That I, I even want to give them lower, just because I feel like they're kind of botching his development. And we're probably going to need to have a conversation about how neither of their past top two first-round picks are starting. And I know the cachet is weird there, and maybe they'll put Kevin Knox back in there, who's played a lot better lately, but that that's probably should be a bigger discussion than it is now. And Knox was yanked from the starting lineup even before 
his injury and it came back in for a minute and it was yanked again, I think. So it's the, the inconsistency is just, just maddening for them. Um, <laughs> did I, did I, I disarm you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think you make a lot of really good points, especially concerning Frank Nilakina. I've, um, I've actually wondered for a few weeks now with some of the rotational stuff that's happening in New York, like how much do I really trust uh, David Fisdale? But I probably need to watch the Knicks more before I, I make some bold declarations. I've seen him a few times this year, but probably not enough. Typically an 8-8 eight and eight team, I might give a lower grade than a C, but I actually think um, I'm going to give them some credit for some of the, this is going to sound mean, but some of the scrap heap guys that they've, turned into positive players this season. Um, I, I, I thought Trey Burke was done two years ago, uh, that that lone season that he had in Washington. I, I wasn't sure he was ever going to play in the NBA again after that. He's been a positive for them. I, I never would have seen that coming. Um, I can't believe Emmanuel Moutier is still just in his age 22 season. Um, I He's a guy who was historically bad in terms of advanced numbers, and he's been a plus. Um this well, not a plus. I mean, he's still slightly below average, but he's better than replacement player, which is a huge improvement over where he's been in the past. Um, Noah Vonley, another guy that I just kind of thought was done, and another guy who's younger than I thought he was. He's in his age 23 season, which is the same age as Alonzo Trier, um, and he's averaging 12 points and 12 rebounds per 36 minutes. He's he's playing solid defense for them. Um, <clears throat> I do think that Fizdale and the Knicks probably deserve a little bit of credit for some of those, I, I guess I'll call them rehab projects that they've done. Um, but overall, I'm, I'm still just kind of in the middle with them because they are objectively bad with that record. And some of the, some of the decisions, especially stuff concerning Frank Nilakina, as you explained, just doesn't make a whole ton of sense to me. Um, I think I would be a lot more willing to bump them up a little bit if they were prioritizing his development a little bit more. Um, and maybe even Mitchell Robinson's a little bit more, who's been really, really good when he's been out there. So there's there's a couple quirks that hold them back, but I'm 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 not really down on the Knicks right now. I don't it's their future, I don't know if you can necessarily be down by because they haven't made these mistakes of reinvesting in Frank Nielakina yet. Um, but the, the Nielakina stuff oh, I said Nielakina, I mean Moutier. Um, or overpaying Vonley. Hey, maybe he comes back cheap. And there, you know what? There are decisions I get. I'm fine with them starting Cantor and Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, I, you probably can't. Mitchell Robinson would be fun to see in the starting lineup, but he'd probably foul out if he was getting starter minutes. So every game, <laughs> I, so I understand. But like, I, I don't want to see Moutier in this, even if he's playing better. And you know what? If you want to start him, then then Hazonia shouldn't be starting because you can you can put Neil Aquina in those minutes. Like you're going to be bad anyway. You want to develop in his, him as an off guard slash borderline wing giving him minutes with Moody and Tim Hardaway Jr. That, that's a way of of just yeah. doing that so it's sure. I, I just don't and I you can be concerned then about shooting but it's not like Hazonia shooting the lights out and it's it's more inexplicable because Trey Burke is dealing with an MCL sprain and so in the three games where Neil Kina has not played Trey Burke has appeared in one of them and he was inactive for the other two and in the one that he was active for that Milwaukee when he played 56 seconds and so you're not – Trey Burke isn't even cannibalizing this because he's been injured, and he also wasn't really playing well before that. But that's besides the point. And still, Neil Aquina isn't playing. And then the Boston one, that's – I could, it's effed up that he didn't play. You got destroyed by Boston, and you don't have, again, Frank Neil Aquina getting any sort of minutes, even in yeah. garbage time. I don't know if there's something going on behind the scenes there, but 
that's a that's a fundamental failure to me. That's bad. I, I would I would totally agree with that. Uh, we are moving on to a team that has a, a a much better outlook, and we should have more nice stuff to say about the Bucks. They are sixteen and seven. They are second in offensive efficiency, eighth in defensive efficiency, and first in net rating. You're in charge of the key stats. I'm throwing it to you. I gave them an A plus. Um, Shocking. They've been fantastic this season. I think one of the biggest offseason acquisitions this summer was Mike Budenholzer, who has. <laughs> I, I think even you and I might have underestimated the difference in coaching between what was going on last season and this season. Um, players have been pretty candid about the difference, which has been interesting. Um, I had a, I had, I think it was Bucks Film Room on Twitter shared a, a video of Giannis basically just saying, "Yeah, it's it's definitely better coaching wise." And he was uh, a big like kid supporter. Yeah, he supported kid, and he 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 didn't he call him and say, "Who can I call to try and help you keep your job?" and um, and I think that's maybe just because Giannis is the nicest guy in the NBA. It seems like um, fair, but <laughs> things are. I don't just know. A... He wants to punch or kick Kazonia in the nuts, so he's got a mean streak to him. <laughs> that play was wild. <laughs> anyway, I don't know how well this this stat will translate on the podcast. It'll probably look a lot better in a stats tweet later. But this this illustrates the difference in coaching to me. This is their shot profile last season. The Bucks were third in percentage of shots taken at the rim, 14th in percentage of shots taken at from mid-range, and that's 14th most. 11th most in percentage of long mid-range shots, and 25th in percentage of shots as threes. Um, so that's, that's not a great shot profile. I mean, they did a good job of getting to the rim. They didn't shoot enough threes, and they took too many mid-rangers. Now, this season, 2018-19, Second in percentage of shots coming at the rim, 30th in mid-range, 29th in long mid-range, and second in three-pointers. Um, they're taking more threes. They're taking far fewer mid-range shots, um, and it's had a clear, clear impact on their offense. The, they are second in offensive rating right now, which you already mentioned. Um, that's the way you got to play with Giannis Antetokounmpo. You surround him with shooters. You give him as much space to drive and slash as you can and just let that guy go to work. And they've they've done it brilliantly this season. He gets, understandably, most of the attention uh, for this team's success. I think he's every bit the MVP candidate that people are describing him as. But this team is pretty deep, too. Uh, Chris Middleton's been really good. Bledsoe's been pretty, pretty darn good. Brogdon is shooting 52% from the field, 49 from three, and 97 from the free throw line and averaging 15 points. Um, he is, he after kind of a tough sophomore camp campaign, he is reminding people of why his rookie of the year was legit. Uh, Brooke Lopez is like this seven-foot shooting guard who spaces the floor out like five feet beyond the three-point line. That game against the Nuggets where he was just hitting these catapult threes from 30-plus feet was insane. <laughs> Um, Connaughton's been good for them. Tony Snell's been solid off the bench. I, I think this team is really, really tough. If we get an Eastern Conference Finals that's them and the Raptors, it's going to be incredible to watch. Yeah, they've been, they've just been absolutely fantastic. I gave them an A plus as well. The stat that stands out to me, and I think it also kind of says uh, a lot about the coaching change, is so last year their defense, 18th 
in points allowed per 100 possessions. Uh, they were third in forcing turnovers, but they were dead last in defensive rebounding and 29th in opponent three, free throw rate. This season, they're eighth in points allowed per 100 possessions. They're 25th in forcing opponent turnovers, but now they're first in defensive rebounding and opponent free throw rate allowed. Like, that extra discipline, and it's not like they're dealing with, when you look at their defensive personnel, they didn't get a, a shit ton better at, at that end. Uh, but with the signings that they made, it's Brooke Lopez, I think has done a really nice job of kind of tagging these bigs um, on live rebounds so that Giannis can get the ball and get up the floor. And so that's helped, but just the discipline that they're showing of not chasing as many turnovers uh, that's going to improve your foul rate. And then of course it's going to make guys uh, spend more time on the glass. And that's been a big, I think shift for them as well, which is really the only thing I, I can add to what you, your comprehensive answer there. And so, I don't. Uh, this team, they're they're probably if we're gonna put the Warriors and the Raptors as the two best teams in the NBA, Milwaukee has to be third, right? Yeah, they're absolutely in the conversation, um, and I think Giannis has about as high a ceiling as any individual player. Um, I you know I still default with the Warriors as the you know 2019 champion and just sort of the de facto. Um, best team in the league. Sorry, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> Second. Um, but uh, this season is super, super interesting to me. Um, a lot of times players come kind of out of nowhere to take a leap or to win an unexpected title. Like we never really had Steph Curry in certain discussions until, you know, the Warriors almost randomly win a title, mm-hmm. win 60 games and win a title. Um, the Mavericks came out of nowhere and won the 2011 title. Um, so it was, you know, I I think we could see something like that with, with Giannis this season. I wouldn't go out on a limb and predict right now that the Bucks are going to win the title, but it wouldn't like blow me away. They've been that good, um, at the start of this season. Yeah, it's again, they've been, they've been fantastic. And he, I think Giannis is the closest we come to an MVP favorite just because the race seems so jumbled this season where I even mentioned you the other night that Paul George should probably be working his way into that like second tier conversation yeah he's been ridiculous too for sure uh and our final team for today the Miami Heat they are 9 and 14 at this recording 27th in offensive efficiency 12th in defensive efficiency and 22nd in net rating I gave them a C and I almost wanted to go lower but they've just been They've been dealing with so many injuries. Uh, the problem for them is the same kind of as it was last year. Uh, it lies at the offensive end, of course, and they just don't have these half-court shot creators. They they are 20th in points scored per possession in the, the half-court right now, according to Cleaning the Glass. And it's just, I, I don't know really or excuse me, they're 27th. I misspoke there. Uh, and there's just no clear path to improvement. I know Goran Dragic has been injured. Um, you're, maybe you'll get Deion Waiters back at some point, but if you have to look at Deion Waiters as like a like a, a lifeline of any sort, like you're in, you're in big trouble. And maybe James Johnson can kind of help that number in time. Um, he's just working. He's only a few games into to his return, but it's just, I, 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 I don't know what to do about them. And so they're spending a good amount of time 
in transition, which is a good way of, of masking kind of that deficiency, but they're also 27th um, in points scored per possession in, in transition. So it's, it's, it's like, it's not, it's not enough. And, and they're dead last in field goal percentage on drives, which speaks to some of um, their half court struggles. There's, they really need to have a makeover as well. And their situation might be worse than the wizards in the sense that they don't have the trade assets to go out there and get impact players. But I, I also think it's harder for them to tear it all down. It's not even just about Pat Riley being uh, probably adverse to it at his age. Just I just don't know who you look to move as an asset. Maybe Dragic, but he's injured and hasn't been shooting the ball too well this year. Maybe 32. Yeah, so it's it's just so – I don't know. It, it, it really is just a big problem for them. And, I again, the, the injuries, especially Wayne Ellington um, at the beginning of the season, I, and you have to trust – uh, Coach Spo, he 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 does the the way he runs his teams on offense. Again, they're they're doing the right things for the personnel that they have, but their personnel also isn't talented enough to make those to make that shot profile to to make their play style work. And I don't think you look at a team or just the way that they're built right now and say this is a team that should be spending um, all of its t- or a good amount of its time attacking in transition. And it, it's just not to say that. that you shouldn't go and look for fast break opportunities, but they're 14th in average possession time per in predictable. And that, that almost shows that they really aren't going to be that great of of a transition team either. So everything just seems like a mess. And the the final thing I'll say is it's just time to abandon the Hassan Whiteside stuff. His, he walks off the court in or to the locker room during that loss to Orlando. They said they dealt with it internally, but he hasn't been helping their defense just lean into some of these smaller lineups with Olenek and Johnson and you have Bam at a bio I know you're paying him a ton of money but it's just it might be time to to abandon it because I don't think he impacts your team in a meaningful way even when he does he just seems like too much of a a wild card in the personality department I tweeted this out the other day um and I don't remember the exact numbers but I I'm pretty sure their best three-man lineup had Adebayo and Olenek in it um which probably doesn't surprise you. Uh, so I'm 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 with you. I think they would be better if they went a little bit smaller, played Olenek as a stretch five. I just looked it up on cleaning the glass. When Bam and Olenek are both on the floor, uh, Miami's plus 16.8 points per 100 possessions, 99th percentile. And that's in about 400 possessions. So not, I mean, it's not a big sample, but it's not inconsequential. Um, they need to... <laughs> Yeah, they, they need to try some new stuff. And I, I also agree with you. I think before I get into anything, I'll, I also gave them a C just because I think they're not that much different than I would have expected. So I'm, I'm just going to give them a pass. Um, they're getting to the rim a lot less than I thought they would. And yeah, they're shooting I, terrible there, by the way. They're 25th in field goal percentage of the rim, but they've always, they've always found ways to kind of hover middle of the road there over the last half decade or so. And they're, they're not. I think they're... Last time I looked, they were 25th in frequency um, of their shot attempts at the rim as well, in addition to being 25th in field goal percentage. Yeah. And I look at their roster, I don't really know what <laughs> the identity should be. Um, it's it's just kind of a weird group to decipher, and I agree with you that it's probably difficult to break up, too. I mean, one of the only guys on the team that might have some trade value is Josh Richardson, and I, I doubt you want to trade him. No, not uh, on that contract. 
No, he's in his age 25 season. He's averaging 20 points um, over a steal. He's a pretty good shot blocker for a guard, although I think that's down a little bit this year. He's shooting about 40% from three. That's a guy that you want to hang on to going forward. Um, Justice Winslow is one of the – I mean, Bam is young too. He's 21. Um, Justice Winslow is in his age 22 season, but I don't know what kind of trade value he has. We're now in year three of Winslow, or is it four? Um, we're in year four of Justice Winslow. Um, shoots 40% from the field for his career, 31% from three. He's a good defender, but I just I don't, I don't know if he moves the needle much for them to be able to get off one of their bad contracts. Um, you know, a lot of people warned about this the summer that they signed all those big deals, that they might just be locking themselves into mediocrity. And I was a little bit higher on them than most. I didn't like the waiters contract. That one never made sense to me, but I thought they could at least continue to be like sort of a perennial sixth, seventh, eighth type of a team. Um, but some of those more pessimistic prognostications might've been the uh, more accurate ones. Are you ready for something that's, and I'm not even taking, this is not like a pot shot at him, but can you, can you guess where Dwayne Wade ranks on the Heat in three-point attempts per game? Um, I have it pulled up already, so I'm not. Wow. I, I doing it. Yeah, I'm. I'm staring at their basketball reference page right now. He is third <laughs> in three-point attempts per game. At oh no, excuse me, fourth. Um, yeah. at four point one, and he is third on the team though in three-point percentage at thirty-seven point nine. It just he's, yeah, he's been pretty good as a shooter, and I think he was the other guy in that three man lineup. That's their best three man lineup right now is Wade, Olenek, and Adebayo. Randomly, they you know what they they might need to do is just go full nuclear and play Josh Richardson at the four with Adebayo at the five, and then round out that lineup with Ellington, and then Wade and Dragic. I was Magruder and I was Dragic. Something similar. I in, but I would just have Olenek in there, maybe. Maybe have Olenek and Bam, and then three shooters. But you need you need to find a way to get some more shooting out there. I think. Yeah. Oh, for sure. They've and again, just because they have Coach Spo, I'm not going to put them uh, in the doldrums for good just yet. They're five games under 500 and only 1.5 games out of the playoffs. And yeah. you have to believe when you look at the teams in front of them, between the Magic, the Hornets, and the Wizards, one of those teams is going to something's going to happen where one of those teams is maybe not a full scale teardown, but they're going to fade off. Maybe it's the magic. They just naturally fade. Um, or maybe the wizards of the Hornets decide to trade one of their best players. Yeah. Um, there, I, I agree with you. I wouldn't completely rule them out yet either. Um, I am already but, coming up with Goran Dragic to the Utah jazz trades though. <laughs> hey, that's, uh, you've piqued my interest. Um, do we have anything else? I think we went through the seven teams that we planned to today. Yes, and we touched upon Mellow to the Lakers and Mellow back to the Rockets, just in case. In under yeah. an hour. You're welcome, listeners. And while we're at it, let's just let's let's put Mellow on the Heat, the the uh, Wizards, all the other teams we've talked about is having problems. I'm okay. sure he's the solution for everybody. Forced to choose because I think you hedged. We both hedged. Mellow, where is the best fit for him left? Best potential where you could see anything good coming of it, what would be the team? Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just say the Lakers. Uh, maybe, LeBron, maybe LeBron can revitalize him for another three or four months. I say that thinking that there would be like 
a 10% chance that that would happen if they signed him. I, I, I honestly don't know. Are you ready for my pick? Yes. I think it would be the Pelicans. I mean, they're already they they're already struggling to get enough minutes for those three big guys. I think at the four and five, and I do not want Melo playing the three. I don't know, Miritich, Davis, Melo, Drew Holiday, Etwan Moore. They might get enough defense out of that lineup to to make it work. Or you could put Melo at the four and then throw. I I don't really want to see Solomon Hill on the court in that, but Darius Miller at the three. It's probably the kind of move that Anthony Davis would be like, yes, they're trying to help me win. <laughs> I don't know if Melo would go to New Orleans either. Love Melo. I wonder if Portland still wants him. CJ and Dame really wanted him last year. Yeah. I... <laughs> Melo's I'm... not going to help what's wrong with them, but that'd be funny too. Or fun, not funny. My general answer is he's not going to help any team at and this point. The, the last thing, just no takes on this, our Blazers takes from the report cards did not age well. <laughs> Yeah, they're struggling lately. Um, but we're still, I mean, we're, we're between a quarter and a third of the way through the season. There's a lot of time for and They just got to play the Suns, so they're going to be fine. <laughs> That's always a nice thing to recover with. Did you see the video of Michael Bridges and Igor Kokoshkov last night? I did not. Oh, I wonder if you can. I don't think the tweet had either of their names, so I wouldn't even know how to search it. But I'll find it and send it to you after we're done. What happened? It, it, I mean, it just looks – it looks like maybe a typical coach-player um, butting heads. But when it's the Phoenix Suns and they're as much of a mess as they've been this season and DeAndre Ayton didn't start last night, it's um, it's interesting. I, I've almost started to think, like, I wonder if Igor Kokoshkov lasts the whole year there. I mean, it's – He's riding it, against them not picking Luka Doncic. I, I still can't believe they didn't do that, especially with the fact that Kakashkov co- coached Doncic to that EuroLeague title. And they didn't um, have a point guard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it didn't make sense. Doncic and Booker together, I think, would have worked really well. Um, but maybe we'll save that for another podcast. Um, Bonus days. <laughs> between now and then, uh, if you want to hit us up on Twitter, you can find Dan at Dan Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. The sponsor is at NBA underscore math. As always, uh, we encourage you to leave ratings and reviews for the show. We sincerely, sincerely appreciate those. Um, I've probably said this a bunch, but to me, it's still kind of surreal to read the reviews and be like, oh, my gosh, people listen to us and have these nice things to say. So that's really, really cool. We love you all. Yeah. I echo that sentiment. Um, Until next time, we leave you with a shout out to Ben Udry. And Kyle Anderson. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.